Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. I, of course, am the father of the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry. And today, at long last, making his long overdue debut on the show is a young man who's written 3,000 words in his life in one article on Scotty Miller, a young man who knows the contract situation of every skilled player in the league. It's a pathetic existence being one of the internet's foremost experts in dynasty fantasy football. But here we are, is of course our own Patrick Corain. Pat, what's going on? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thanks for that uh, for that intro there. Very, very kind of you. And uh, it's been awesome to be a part of the Establisher Run uh, family here. Thank you guys for bringing me on. And yeah, I've been doing all sorts of content on Dynasty. I got stuff coming up on Best Ball. I've been doing high stakes content as well once we get into the prime redraft season. So it'll be good stuff. Yeah. For, for background, I first met Pat at a uh, high school field in Havertown, Pennsylvania, a long time ago. I don't know, maybe maybe four years ago. And I know people are thinking, what were we doing at a high school field in Havertown, Pennsylvania? I mean, this was, God, it's so embarrassing. This was the first uh, quote-unquote broathlon put on by mans. And I was dragged, you know, against my will <laughs> to drink alcohol and like do fitness stuff for mans. You can, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube if you Google, uh, if you put in, uh, original Barathlon or first Barathlon into into YouTube. But uh, so Corrine was there filming me and Mans and Bales doing this uh, Barathlon. And so Corrine, like I'm like fake chugging these beers because obviously I didn't want to actually drink the beers and run. So I'm like pouring the beers down my face as I'm as I'm running and swallowing maybe like 5% of them. And Pat's like has the camera uh, right in my <laughs> face. I don't know. Do you remember that, Pat? Of course I do. Yeah, that was that was unbelievable. Um, and then I actually got you and Bales to sit down with me for a podcast afterwards. As you, as you guys are all sweaty and just want to get out of there. So that was, that was nice of you guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. And now I did that all for Mans, and now Mans is dead. It's unbelievable. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's give the people some actual background, though. Pat, how, how did you get into this dynasty fantasy football thing? I mean, I know that maybe it's not the most popular form of fantasy, but the people who are into it are, are like so 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 into it how did you get into dynasty fantasy football yeah so i think it started with um coming i so i started writing originally for rotaviz and i was a big reader of that site and i really liked their approach to um prospect analysis and that's kind of what got me into it. i just started doing deep dives on the rookies every year um which i think is very helpful for redraft but then once you get uh once you kind of get that bug where you just want to make sure you know what that incoming class looks like, then obviously the best way to get an advantage is dynasty. Um, and I, I do think that dynasty forces you to go deeper, not just on the rookies, but on the situations in terms of contracts, depth charts. And so you really have a, a much better base of knowledge to then approach something like redraft, um, where often, you know, you can have guys who are overvalued because of the way, you know, the depth chart looks like it's going to shake out for week one. But, um, you know, you can have running back breakouts from younger players that are a little under the radar and all all that stuff. So I think dynasty really helps you get an advantage there. Um, And it's just, I think it's a format that really pays off with multiple different strategies. You can go all in for the current year. You can play the long term. You don't have to only, you know, incorporate one strategy all the time. You kind of, survey the field, survey your league, and um, you have a lot more flexibility in 
into the strategies that you then employ. Yeah. I mean, Dynasty is uh, a ton of work, but it's also super interesting to think about uh, when should I be selling players? When should I be buying them and treating players more as as stocks, whether whereas in DFS and in redraft, we're focusing on opportunity so much. That said, I do today want to talk to Pat a bunch about this rookie class from a redraft perspective, from a DFS perspective, because I don't think very many people on the planet know more about these oncoming rookies and their skill sets and how they'll fit with their teams than Pat. Um, by the way, if you go to the site, you'll find Pat's full dynasty rankings with age, contract status, his notes. He's going to update that soon. Uh, you can find a bunch of his Dynasty articles, as he mentioned, a ton on this rookie class. And then that's what we're going to focus on today, the outlooks for this rookie class. And I think the best way to do it is in the context of Pat's rankings for Dynasty drafts. So we're going to go in order uh, of Pat's Dynasty rankings, rookie rankings, which you can find on the site. But we're also going to focus on kind of year one outlooks here and, and 2020 redraft season long stuff on these rookies. So let's go ahead and start at the top, Pat. Year 1.01 for uh, dynasty rookie drafts and i think uh, a player a lot of people are going to be excited about in redraft also is clyde edwards hilaire who was the somewhat surprising first running back off the board uh first round draft capital uh after the draft the chiefs brass and coaches are like falling all over themselves like full erection for uh clyde edwards hilaire comparing him to brian westbrook saying he was their guy all along they can't wait blah 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 meanwhile when Damian Williams had opportunities, Damian Williams was extremely productive. How do you think Clyde Edwards Hilaire's uh, splits with Damian Williams in year one? And why is Edwards Hilaire the 1.01 in Dynasty? Yeah, I think that Williams will be involved in year one. But with Edwards Hilaire, you have his strength being in the passing game, which obviously matches up very well with uh, that offense. And it matches up very well with Andy Reid's approach to running backs in the past. And that's the most valuable piece of fantasy backfields that we want to, that we want to have. We want to make sure we have the guy who catches passes and Ed Tulare, Edward Tulare is definitely going to be that guy. Although I expect that Williams will be involved in some capacity there as well. It should be somewhat of a committee in year one, but Williams is an unrestricted free agent after year one. So for dynasty purposes, I think you have the potential of Edward Tulare being like maybe you know, a discounted Christian McCaffrey type of guy. I don't think he's going to get that complete workhorse level, but um, kind of on the the Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara spectrum um, is his upside. And, and he could see it very quickly. He should be immediately productive. So I think just kind of a, just an absolute smash situation for Edward Tolaire. And he vaults up from, you know, I didn't really consider him. I did not consider him the top running back in the class before this. And, you know, a guy like uh, a Swift would, would be ahead of him pre-draft for me too, but the situation and the draft capital makes a huge difference. Oh, for sure. And having players attached to Patrick Mahomes and, you know, I, I, we joke a lot and we bust Peter's balls about using the word generational too much, but uh, I think you can make the case that Patrick Mahomes is going to go down as one of the best uh, quarterbacks ever and having his feature back tied to him for the next four or five years just absolutely locked which uh you know obviously first round draft picks will be with the team under uh relatively cheap contracts for four with fifth year option um that's worth a ton so uh to me it's no-brainer in dynasty i think in redraft there's a chance clyde edwards hilaire and we'll see where adp shakes out is overdrafted just because i think damian williams is going to still be uh involved but we'll see i mean i I assume he's going to be end up going in second uh, or third round in redraft and 
we'll have to see where all that shakes out. I think there's a drop-off after that when we start talking about this rookie class. And number two, you have Jonathan Taylor. And and then not only did the Colts take Jonathan Taylor, they traded up to get Jonathan Taylor. And not only did they uh, choose Jonathan Taylor ahead of someone like DeAndre Swift, they did it even though they had Marlon Mack, who I think has a somewhat redundant skill set on Jonathan Taylor. But Jonathan Taylor just does everything better, right? Like Jonathan Taylor's bigger. Jonathan Taylor's faster. They both have shaky profiles on pass downs so to me it's just a a death blow to Marlon Mack who I actually thought could play a little bit uh but what do you see with Jonathan Taylor who god I mean one of the most productive college runners ever was Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin yeah incredibly productive he's big he's fast uh it's not like he can't play in the passing game although there are some question marks about how how much he'll get used there especially now that he's in Indianapolis so I think the biggest concern with him is you know, if he gets treated like Mac got treated, it, it wasn't really that Mac was just a total nothing in the passing game, but he, he never really got used there. Um, and Naheem Hines is still there. He could be a guy who they prefer to use on passing downs early in Taylor's career, which would hurt his value. I do agree, though. I think Mac is pretty much a backup, and he's also a free agent after the year. So long term, he's not going to be a thorn in Taylor's side. Um, if Taylor does get used in a three down capacity behind this offensive line, they can get quarterback figured out long-term Then he, I think has more upside from a fantasy perspective, even than Edward Hilaire, assuming that Edward Hilaire is not going to operate as like a true three down workhorse. So I think Taylor's like the only guy in this class that could have that Christian McCaffrey, true workhorse style ceiling where we see him multiple years going as the one-on-one type of guy. I think Edward Hilaire is probably more of like a, you know, like a mid to late first round type of startup pick, um, um, you know, as we move forward. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, from looking at Jonathan Taylor's profile, if this was like 10 years ago, like Jonathan Taylor would have been like the first pick overall in the real NFL draft, right? Like the way he profiles, like this is what old school football loves, like incredibly productive, big, fast um he slips his second round in today's nfl i think for questions about his pass game ability um but yeah i mean one of the league's best offensive lines philip rivers loves to throw to running backs if i was coaching the colts i would tell naheem hines that your role is no longer needed and i would say i'm gonna get my two best backs on the field and i'm gonna i would see what uh marilyn mack and jonathan taylor could do at least give them a shot on pass downs ahead of naheem hines but we'll see how the colts play that out um but yeah you know I think Jonathan Taylor has a chance uh, to be undervalued in redraft, at least, whereas Edward Tolaire, I think, overdrafted in redraft. Uh, let's talk about some receivers here. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted about Amari Cooper's contract situation. And, you know, like, you know, things are going to go bad on Twitter when, like, real NFL Twitter gets a hold of it because, like, Tyron Matthew, like, quote, tweeted it. And, and you know, I, what all I said was that I wasn't trying to say Amari Cooper did a bad deal, that Amari Cooper got underpaid all i was saying that there's no guaranteed money left in mari cooper's contract after 2021 he still did well to get uh 40 million guaranteed up front and to have the contract front loaded up to 60 million but if the cowboys want to move on from mari cooper after the 2021 season they can same goes for michael gallup and then you get cd lamb in this incredible environment with dak prescott uh and gallup and amari and this really exciting offense and, and, and zeke so uh, I like that you have C.D. Lamb ahead of all the other wide receivers in Dynasty. I think it's a different story in redraft, obviously, because of 
once you start projecting target shares for these guys in year one, it's going to get extremely, extremely messy. But yeah, I, I like the landing spot for CeeDee Lamb. I was, um, you know, I think people who say it's a bad landing spot are just are just not seeing the big picture. Uh, what do you think about CeeDee Lamb uh, short and long term? Yeah, I think I was curious to see how the market was going to react to the landing spot. And in Dynasty, Lamb has not really been penalized for the landing spot, except for the fact that some of the running backs are going ahead of the first wide receiver, when maybe that wouldn't be the case if he had landed in a better spot. But Lamb is typically still going as the wide receiver one in Dynasty. And so there's not going to be a discount available here because he's not going to see as many targets as we hoped in year one. Uh, so, but I think he's worth taking as the wide receiver one. And I actually am a bit ahead of the market, I think on him because I would take him over guys like Swift and Dobbins. So the reason for that is that he's tied to Dak Prescott long-term, as you mentioned, Amari Cooper can be cut easily after the 2021 season. He basically has three team options for $20 million, uh, following the 2021 season. So he could be kept around, but any year after 2021 could be his last year. Gallup comes up for free agency after 2021 as well. There are a fair amount of available targets in this offense with departures uh, by Cobb, Witten, uh, Austin's targets. So you've got uh, the potential for Lamb to do better than expected as a rookie. Um, I think that if this offense really takes off, you know, if Gallup is out for a couple weeks, like just think if Gallup tweaks his ankle and is out for a four-week stretch, Lamb could explode over that stretch. Mm-hmm. And that's really nice for redraft. It's also amazing for Dynasty. I mean, what you're looking for in Dynasty is not necessarily for Lamb to average like nine points a game steadily over every week. You want a stretch that you can point to that you know shows that this guy's a potential superstar. That's what's going to spike his trade value. Um, and that's obviously what's going to make him usable in season. So uh, I think Lamb is a sneaky. It's a sneaky good landing spot. I was a little disappointed at first, but I've since come come around big time. Yeah, yeah, I like Ceedee Lamb, and we'll see what happens in redraft. But he, as you mentioned, I mean, I want pieces of this offense. They they led the entire NFL in yards per play last year, and are major threats to do so once again. I think most people at this point are likely to have Dak Prescott as their quarterback three uh, in redraft, only behind Lamar and Mahomes. The we can talk plenty about what the Broncos did. Let's talk about both Jerry Judy uh, and KJ Hamler now, because obviously Broncos made an investment on helping Drew Locke. I mean, with any other quarterback, Judy, Sutton, Fant, Hamler, Melvin, uh, Lindsey, uh, Albert O, uh, people would be salivating over this offense. There are just so many concerns around Drew Locke, and there's so many concerns also around the offensive line. I know they added Graham Glasgow, but offensive line is still a major question mark for the Denver Broncos, uh, you have Judy uh, as the wide receiver two in this class. And I know we don't want to overrate quarterback talent when it comes to dynasty, but I'm just curious your thoughts on Drew Locke in general, because I mean, it's hard for me to see Drew Locke supporting more than two of these guys at their current or at their likely ADPs, I guess is what I should say. Yeah, this is a tough ranking because Judy is in a tough, he's in a, it's in a bad situation for immediate production because of how crowded the depth chart is. And I, I don't think that Locke is a particularly strong, strong bet to have this huge breakout in his sophomore year. Um, one thing I do like is that all of these skill sets, I think, mesh well from a real-life perspective. Uh, you've got kind of the alpha in Sutton. Hamler is a classic field stretcher. Judy can operate 
incredibly efficiently underneath. You've got these two tight ends. They can play multiple sets. They've got the running backs. I mean, if Locke is even okay, this offense could take off. I mean, I think if you put like Kirk Cousins in there, this could be like a top five NFL offense. So you don't need, you don't need some elite quarterback play here. And then I think I also just don't want to get too carried away with knocking Judy down my board because he, you know, his, my pre-draft evaluation of him was very high. He's a first round pick. Generally, one reason that I like wide receivers in dynasty more than running backs is that betting on talent pays off much more often than at the running back position. So I'm, I'm kind of making a bet on Judy's talent here. I think you're going to get him at a discount from what you would have done prior to the NFL draft, even though he went pretty much exactly where we thought he would in the draft. So I can't necessarily explain to you how it's going to work out for him great as a rookie. But, you know, if Drew Locke flames out, he might flame out big time, and we could be looking at them getting a very early pick in the 2021 NFL draft, which could then solve the quarterback issue. So uh, this offense is set up for someone to succeed at quarterback. Hopefully it's Locke this year. If not, I think they'll figure it out. Yeah, and I'm curious where Locke's ADP ends up because, you know, when you're stacking in best ball for some of these tournaments, you know, like obviously the Giants, I think are going to be one of my favorite uh, stacks for that. But I think the Broncos, if Drew Locke is available in like round 18 and stuff could make a lot of sense as well. Let's get to a couple wide receivers you have here who I think are the candidates for year one production or, you know, some of the best candidates for for year one targets, Jalen Rager uh, and Justin Jefferson. I, I think... I don't know how you see it. I think there's a pretty good chance that Justin Jefferson will lead this rookie class in raw targets. And of course, um, that doesn't mean everything, and especially in Dynasty. But I'm curious if you agree with that. And also, I think you're way higher than market on Jalen Rager. You have Jalen Rager fifth overall in Dynasty. I think a lot of people uh, would have him closer, uh, you know, behind Dobbins, Swift, Ruggs, Jefferson, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, how do you see these two guys who I think are, have pretty clear paths to week one playing time. Yeah, Jefferson is in a really nice situation for his skill set. Um, I think he's long-term in terms of his upside projection. He looks actually, you know, a bit he, – he could he could be a guy who plays in and out of the slot just like Adam Thielen does. So I think being paired with Thielen as someone to develop under is nice. And in the meantime, he should be able to take more of his work in the slot then outside, which is good for his current skill set. He played in the slot last year, was very effective there at LSU, but he did play outside in 2018. One thing that concerns me with Jefferson is that he was the clear second fiddle to Jamar Chase last year. Um, He got passed in terms of the production by Chase, and Chase was much more efficient than Jefferson was, both on his routes and targets. So I'm a little bit concerned that Jefferson doesn't have – as high of a ceiling as a player, just given that college profile. Um, but operating as a number two behind Thielen, I think is a great outcome for him. And I do think he should see a lot of targets right away. The depth chart behind Jefferson is pretty barren. So he slots into a really nice situation. Rager, the reason I'm so much higher on Rager than consensus is one, I think his ceiling is, especially in the next two years, probably unmatched by any other wide receiver in this class. I mean, the, the Eagles depth chart is completely wide open. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is probably their top wide receiver right now. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, you know, who knows what we're going to get from him this year. JJ Arcega Whiteside completely bombed out in his rookie season. He ran so many routes. He's just like 
you know, the class like Chris Hogan out there doing cardio, as, as Richard Rebar says, uh, it, you know, that was, that was an awful rookie season from Arcega Whiteside. And they can't, they don't know what they're going to get from him. They got Greg Ward there. So if Rager's good, I think he could see a huge role this, this year. He's athletic. Um, he wasn't quite as athletic as a combine that people hoped, but his jumps were fantastic. And he ran a four, four, seven forty. He's over 200 pounds. I think he sometimes gets cast as like a smaller wide receiver. He's not really, he's, he's like five eleven, but you know, he's a, he's a bigger guy who I think could operate as a kind of all around wide receiver one, you know, if given time to develop. And he does have a, a thing that he's clearly very good at, which is getting downfield. And he's very dynamic with the ball in his hands. So he should see targets in that capacity right away. And he was very productive in college. He enters the year young, enters the league very young at 21 years old. He was a, a junior to Claire, which is important. Uh, he's coming off kind of a tough season last year where he wasn't very efficient, but his quarterback play took a huge dip from where it was in 2018. And he, he smashed in 2018. So if he's what, if he's what we saw in 2018, then I think he could easily be going as the wide receiver one in this class next year in startup ADP. Um, just the targets are there. The talent level appears to be there. I do think he has a bit of a lower floor than some of the other guys, but um, I just, to me, he's a no brainer ahead of these running backs that we'll get to that are looking like they could be in committee situations. Yeah, it's interesting um, because people here in Philadelphia were very angry that the Eagles, A, didn't trade up for CeeDee Lamb, and B, took Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. Um, you know, and I, I get it. They never saw, a lot of them never saw Jalen Rager play because he played for TCU, and the quarterback play was atrocious, and everybody saw Justin Jefferson, you know, going ham for LSU. I think uh, from a skill set perspective, Rager does more of what the Eagles need, which is get down the field. They have plenty of guys like Goddard and Ertz and Alshon to... Uh, go over the middle. So I, I like the landing spot for Rager uh, a lot uh, as well. Um, let's talk about a couple of running backs. You have J.K. Dobbins, seventh, and DeAndre Swift, eighth. Uh, Dobbins enters a crowded backfield. Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill. But Mark Ingram is uh, old uh, or getting older, at least. Gus Edwards uh, is, at best, I think, a replacement level back. And Justice Hill barely got on the field as a rookie despite uh, a lot of hype i also think you can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe jk dobbins has um plenty of experience at ohio state in like read option type stuff which is what obviously lamar yeah. jackson runs uh, a lot so i think even with a limited offseason and training camp particularly at the running back position it's going to be easier for these guys to come in especially if they run the scheme which jk dobbins has done so i'm optimistic that mark ingram is not going to see more than 10 12 at most 13 carries a game. That still leaves plenty for J.K. Dobbins, assuming he plays ahead of Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, which I think he will. So, and then long-term, you know, you can tie J.K. Dobbins to this offense uh, and Mark Ingram moves on, which I think is exciting too. So, seems like a really good landing spot, a really, really good landing spot for J.K. Dobbins. And then we'll talk about Swift after that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great landing spot. Mark Ingram can be cut to save eight plus million after the season. Um I, you know, as you mentioned, Dobbins has experience in this scheme. Uh, his, uh, his weakness was pass protection, which I think will be kind of a, this helps limit that weakness as well. Um, so I think it's just a great landing spot. The thing that I do worry a little bit about is that Mark Ingram 
who was used somewhat as a pass catcher in New Orleans, wasn't really used that much in that capacity uh, last year in Baltimore. So if Dobbins is cast kind of, you know, more as a, you know, what we would consider kind of a two down type of running back and that he's not getting a lot of pass work, then uh, that will limit his upside, um, you know, in the short and long term. But, you know, by next year, I think we're probably looking at Dobbins as the clear lead back in this offense. uh, And that's definitely a guy I want pieces of. Yeah, I mean, Lamar's never going to throw to his running backs at a high rate, right? It's just it's just never going to happen. So I think if that's what you're expecting out of J.K. Dobbins, like that that would be uh, a concern for me, obviously. Speaking of throwing to your running backs, though, DeAndre Swift profiled as one of the best pass-catching backs in this class. He lands with Detroit. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that DeAndre Swift is necessarily better than Carrion. Like, I actually like Carrion. I think he's a really good player. The Lions thought that he couldn't... Uh, um, handle more than I don't know they never seem willing to give him more than 13 14 15 touches in a game for whatever reason so now they have two guys and I think that they're both going to play relatively equally carry on more likely to get goal line work swift more likely to catch the football so I think it's kind of clear cut here like I don't see one guy as that much better than the other and one guy is going to emerge particularly from considering what we've seen from this coaching staff before do you see it any differently on DeAndre Swift no, and I think Swift's getting overdrafted, partly just based on that people were very excited about him pre-draft, which I get. I mean, he's a very exciting prospect, but this situation really stinks. Carrion Johnson is not a free agent after the year, so this is a kind of a gross committee situation that could last for several seasons. I think that would really take some of the shine off of Swift in, in the trade market. Um, and they also drafted a kid in the fifth round who's a very accomplished pass catcher, Jason Huntley. So they're just sending us signals that they want to run a committee. And I, I really wish Swift had gone elsewhere, but based on the situation, you know, to me, I, I can't really, I just can't justify taking him over these other wide receiver prospects who are excellent prospects. And then Dobbins who, where the situation could just break very positively for him quickly. This situation probably be gross for multiple seasons. Uh, Next on your list at ninth is Henry Ruggs. And, you know, it, it's funny. I Like the wide receiver who goes first in the draft is typically the one who ends up the top of dynasty boards. I have seen, I'm in uh, one uh, super flex dynasty draft. Please don't, uh, you know, uh, call me team no sex, but I am in a, I am in a dynasty super flex uh, draft right now. And Henry Ruggs, the first wide receiver off the board, didn't go in the, in the rookie draft until like 2.1. Uh, I don't know. Is this this has to be really rare for the wide receiver one in real life to come off the board so late in rookie dynasty drafts? And you know, I have my concerns about Henry Ruggs and how he fits with Derek Carr and et cetera, et cetera. But it's just shocking to me that he's the market seems so so down on him, uh, given the draft capital. Yeah, I'm curious to see where he settles in as rookie drafts move along because Ruggs was not productive in college, and I think you know the leagues that are going on right now, like basically other writers and stuff. They're just not generally going to get on board with a guy who was not productive, um, but he's very fast. He was the first wide receiver taken. Uh, he, he could have a huge target share uh, very quickly. Tyrell Williams can be, I think almost has to be let go based on his current contract after the season. So even more targets are probably going to open up there. I think Brian Edwards, who they drafted in the third round is fine. He's a fine prospect, but not someone who I expect to come in and, and steal the targets away that, they're expecting rugs to handle. He's 188. Um, he's he's 5'11. So he's a guy that I think is probably 
you know, he's 21 years old, so he could develop, get a little bigger and, you know, look more like kind of an alpha number one wide receiver, even though he's kind of considered right now to be the speed threat. He has excellent hands. So I don't think the comps to like Darius Hayward Bay are fair. So yeah, I think that uh, Ruggs is going to end up being undervalued in this class, at least especially right now with where the rookie ADP settled so far. Um, but there are real question marks about what he did in college, even considering the fact that he was playing with Jerry Judy, he's playing with Devonta Smith. So there wasn't like a ton of targets to go around. He vastly underperformed what we want to see from a rookie prospect. He actually, he reminds me a little bit, it's a weird comp because uh, they're not at all similar in size, but he reminds me a little bit of Kelvin Benjamin when he came out because Benjamin had a lot of red flags as well, but he did one thing really well. He won downfield with his size and he was going to see a ton of targets. And it was just kind of smart to just trust the draft position and take him. And I think with Ruggs, it's a bit of a similar situation where, yeah, he's not a complete prospect, but he does have something he does really well that will translate to the NFL game and his team plans to feed him. Yeah. I mean, I also talked to Evan on on Friday about do we think Derek Carr has been so conservative with his targets because he hasn't had downfield threats or is it because Derek Carr just likes to check down? I kind of think that it's the latter and he's just not aggressive enough, but what, what they've given him with Ruggs and Edwards, it's, it's at least possible um, going forward that Derek Carr can take more shots and he'll be, you know, encouraged by Gruden to take more shots. Um, all right, let's move some of these latter half guys a little bit quicker here. You have LaVisca Chennault 10th, uh, Brandon Ayuk 11th, uh, Cam Akers 12th, T Higgins 13th. I think from a, a redraft perspective, I'd be a little bit surprised if T Higgins wasn't a starter uh, right away in three wide, rece- three wide receiver sets. AJ Green, T Higgins on the outside, Tyler Boyd in the slot. I think that gives T Higgins uh, some reasonable upside. I mean, and in San Francisco behind Debo Samuel, there is very little and, and they seem very excited to have traded up and gotten Brandon Ayuk. So from a redraft perspective, I think Higgins and Ayuk would be my favorite out of those four that I just mentioned. I've seen some people be extremely high on Cam Akers. And we can talk about Daryl Henderson in a second here because I think he's in uh, big, big trouble um, uh, based on what we've seen. But yeah, what do you think about year one impacts for Ayuk, T. Higgins, and Chenault? Yeah, I think I agree with you about Higgins. He should be on the field right away. But John Ross does what John Ross does, and I think he'll have a role. Um, So I'm not sure what his immediate target projection looks like. And Higgins had one good year, really, and it wasn't even that good. Like, it was very, very efficient, but in terms of just amount of the offense that he accounted for, it wasn't even that strong for a prospect coming out. So he looks like a very boom-bust guy to me. Ayuk, uh, I have him ahead of Higgins because, uh, well, first of all, Ayuk went in the first round, which which makes a difference. And Ayuk was uh, also just good for one year, but he was even better from a uh, market share of his offense standpoint. He's terrific after the catch. And I think he probably projects to see a bigger target share right away. And he fits very well, actually, with what I think Jimmy Garoppolo can do for his wide receivers. Uh, and I love that he's with Kyle Shanahan. He's super creative. He's going to scheme up ways to get Ayuk the ball in space. I think that's a great fit. I think Chenault's year one outlook is maybe a bit underrated. Um, this is a versatile type of player who will probably operate somewhat out of the slot where he's competing with D.D. Westbrook, who's been pretty damn bad for three years now. Uh, 
And then Leonard Fournette saw 100 targets last year, which were total waste. I think some of those could go to Chenault, uh, either kind of as out of the back, backfield routes or short kind of slot routes. But he is he's a big dude. He's 6'1", 227. Uh, we don't have numbers on his athleticism because he was dealing with an injury. Uh, he did run a four five eight forty, but there people think that might have been slower than he might have done. Um, and he was just a huge producer in college, so he's kind of like if Cordell Patterson was good at, good at football, basically. So <laughs> uh, I think that Chenault could see uh, touchdown upside. Like he could he could have a fair amount of touchdowns as a rookie. He uh, should see a fair amount of targets in an offense that's pretty open behind DJ Chark and he won't have to deal with the primary attention of the defense because of DJ Chark. So I think he's a sneaky year one play and someone who's going undervalued in dynasty as well. Um, okay. I want to spend a minute on the Cam Akers situation. What Sean McVay has told us about Daryl Henderson is he played him in the preseason last year and Sean McVay never plays guys. He thinks are going to be contributors in the preseason. Uh, then in the regular season, uh, Daryl Henderson is healthy for the entire year and only plays 73 snaps. He loses time to, lose a ton of time to Malcolm Brown. And then the offseason in the draft, they let Todd Gurley go, which was, you know, sent Daryl Henderson's ADP through the roof. And then they go ahead and use a second round draft capital on Cam Akers, even though they have so many holes on their team. I mean, these are all, I think, really bad signs for Daryl Henderson. And I think that maybe it's possible or even likely that Twitter and fantasy Twitter and draft Twitter is much higher on Daryl Henderson than the Rams are at this point. Is that what you take away from the Cam Akers thing? And how would you compare the skill sets and the talent level of Akers uh, versus Daryl Henderson? Yeah, Evan made an interesting point on one of the established run podcasts where he was he was saying that Henderson maybe didn't really fit the scheme last year. And that if they were going to move to Henderson, they might need to change to more like power blocking schemes as opposed to zone. Um, and I guess they decided not to do that. Um, and I do think that I think that Akers will be probably the lead back there. Um, that's clearly their intention. And Henderson, I think, will have a role, but his value takes a huge hit. It's interesting because I've the impression that I've got is that people are, if anything, maybe overly excited about Akers, at least in Dynasty. He's mm-hmm. rocketed up boards. Um, he's going ahead of a lot of these wide receivers. Um, this is an offense that sort of seems to be like shedding talent, shedding like golf just took a big step back. Cooper cups, a free agent after the year. Uh, Josh Reynolds is a free agent after the year. So they just took this kid Van Jefferson in the second round, who was one of the worst picks of the entire draft. So I think that, um, you know, taking cam Akers in the mid first in this, this draft, the loaded class, I think is a bit early. If you're still expecting huge things from Daryl Henderson, that's obviously not not uh, something I agree with either. So I think to some degree they're gonna they're gonna cannibalize each other a little bit. I like Acres if you can get them in the late first or in the early second, but I, that you're not gonna be able to do that. If you want Acres, you're gonna have to take them probably in the the late mid first at the you know like the one of seven range probably. Yeah, I mean also one of the worst offensive lines in the league and and very little little ability for the Rams to improve it. I mean they they just have such little flexibility in terms of money uh, right now. So. So yeah, uh, certainly I, th- I would agree with you. I'm lower than market on acres, I think in both redraft and uh, dynasty. Uh, I want to spend a minute on maybe the most controversial or polarizing prospect in this class, and that's Keyshawn Vaughn. And I know people are falling all over themselves to get on the Bucks bandwagon. Um, 
the market is like, I mean, Bucks Super Bowl odds are just going absolutely through the roof. Everybody thinks that this is the best team uh, or one of the best teams in the NFC, and they've just added their feature back. You have a long and storied history with one Ronald Jones. Uh, it's an interesting comparison. I think they're almost the same age. Ronald Jones might actually be a little bit younger. But more importantly, I think it's very obvious to me that Ronald Jones is viewed as a two-down back by this Bruce Arian staff, whereas they made a very clear point that they wanted to add a three-down back, and they clearly think that Keyshawn Vaughn is just that. So I've seen people talking about Keyshawn Vaughn going you know, really high in, in redraft and first round in dynasty. I think the market is maybe overreacting especially if you consider you know, that he was not even in the top tier or the top two tiers in terms of prospects in this draft as a whole. So I think maybe people are overrating landing spot a little bit too much here. But yeah, that's my long way of saying that uh, you have Keyshawn Vaughn at, at 14th. Uh, what do you think about his outlook? Yeah, I mean, he, he has some things that are really interesting. Like, as you mentioned, they were looking for someone to play on passing downs that wasn't Ronald Jones. Uh, and Ronald Jones was really a question mark in pass protection. He was not good there. Tom Brady's not going to stand for that as this third down guy. Um, he was actually, Jones was pretty good as a pass catcher on like early down screens and stuff, but it's a different skill set. So Vaughn comes in as that potential James White type of guy. Um, I'm not really buying that he's going to be a workhorse back for them though. Jones was actually excellent as a runner. He broke tackles at an extremely high rate. He was very good after contact. He was really good on the goal line. So I just uh, I have a hard time imagining him getting completely supplanted by Vaughn. They they ran a committee last year. I mean, they were giving huge snaps to Daria Gumbawale, Peyton Barber, and Jones. So I expect this to be, be a committee once again. And this won't surprise you, but you know I want the cheaper guy in Ronald Jones if these are the prices that we're going to get. And I think these prices will probably translate to redraft. I mean, Jones is going to be in the double-digit rounds you know, maybe 13, 14 in redraft. Uh, I think, you know, a Vaughn injury would, would make Jones very interesting in redraft that they, they don't really have much bes- behind him, except I guess Dara, they, they kept around Barber has since departed. Mm-hmm. So Vaughn, I think, um, is being a bit overdrafted right now, though. There's certainly, there's certainly upside. If he does develop as the favored runner, starting from a place of being the clear favorite for pass catching duties, then he definitely has a lot of upside. But it's more for me about looking at a third-round running back and saying, do I want to take him over these wide receivers that have great profiles and were just drafted in the first and second round? I don't. So, um, you know, I I think I'm less down on him among the running backs than it might seem, but it's it's more about preferring the wide receivers in this range. Oh, I mean, I think in Dynasty, I mean, think about the injury rates for wide receivers, longevity of career. And then, as you mentioned, like, talent translates so much better at wide receiver, like talent shines through. So to me, in Dynasty, taking uh, Keyshawn Vaughn over Ruggs or Chenault or Ayuk or T. Higgins, I mean, that would be uh, pretty egregious. Uh, it's happening all the time, though. It's, it's, I know. It's, yeah. I know. I know. It's, 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 an, it's an epidemic. It's, the Buck stuff is, is an epidemic. Uh, even though I, I do think quietly, like, there, people are high on the Bucks because of their offense. Actually, their defense is going to be really good, but that's a conversation for, for another day. Um, 
Okay, I want to talk about, uh, before we uh, kind of wrap up here, I want to talk about some of the guys, a few, get your take on guys who I think have a chance at year one impact. Let's start with Denzel Mims. You have him 19th in Dynasty, but I'm more curious, this depth chart is wide open, and they gave Sam Darnold Mekhi Becton, uh, they gave Sam Darnold Brashad Perriman, who I like, they get Chris Herndon back after a completely lost 2019. I am not uh, sold that this offense is just going to be totally dusty. And and I think Denzel Mims has a chance to step in and be an every down player right away for an offense that I think can actually be reasonable. I wish I didn't think that about somebody that was coached by Adam Gaze, and maybe it's a bad take. But Denzel Mims uh, on player profile got the comp to Chris Godwin, obviously outrageously athletic. What do you think about Denzel Mims specifically uh, in redraft? Yeah, I like him better in redraft than Dynasty. He has a bunch of red flags in Dynasty. Um, he, he declared a senior. He wasn't that productive for his age. Um, he's also the 13th wide receiver taken, uh, which I think hurts his outlook. Uh, Van Jefferson was taken ahead of him. Like It mm-hmm. wasn't a great draft for Mims. But as you mentioned, he has the potential to see a lot of targets right away. I think if you're in the type of Dynasty League where you can flip guys easily, I like him more there. And for redraft, I like him as well because he is very athletic and there's not a ton of competition. I think Perriman is kind of a sneaky play in redraft this year. I think yeah. he could have a, a bigger role, especially if you agree with me that Mims is kind of an overrated prospect, then the outlook for Perriman looks great. Um, but but Mims definitely, like I have Hamler ranked above him at Dynasty. I would obviously take Mims well ahead of Hamler in redraft. Sure. Uh, you seem lower than I would have thought, at least, on Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, talk to me about why you're lower on Michael Pittman and do you think that he has a path to year one targets? Because, I mean, if he can displace maybe Zach Pascal and if T.Y. Hilton's injury woes continue, like Michael Pittman has a major chance at year one playing time, I think. I think so, too. He he also he has a lot of the same red flags that Mim had, Mims had as a prospect, and he's not as athletic, although he's bigger. Um, but to me, it's like I can get Chase Claypool for way cheaper in rookie drafts right now. He's way more athletic um, than Pittman, and he's bigger than Mims. Um, and the thing with Pittman is that while he can get on the field probably quicker than a Claypool, his long-term quarterback situation is a total question mark. So mm-hmm. maybe Easton turns into something after a year behind Rivers, but but who knows? Um, Rivers is on a one-year deal, and it could be totally washed. So um, I think that Pittman – he's not a talent that I really believe in. I like the draft position a lot. I like the size. I like the early career opportunity in terms of targets, but um, if he doesn't do it right away and then the quarterback situation gets really ugly, then he's not someone I want to be holding on to because I don't really believe in the talent that much compared to the, some of the other guys in, in this range. One landing spot that I liked that maybe other people didn't like was Zach Moss, because I think this Bills team is going to be very good, and I think they're going to be extremely run-oriented, and I don't think they want to overuse Devin Singletary. So Zach Moss in this Frank Gore role on a good team. I don't know what you think about Zach Moss as a prospect in general. I know it was kind of polarizing from the stuff I saw. Some people were really high on Zach Moss. Some people uh, thought he was not a good prospect at all. What do you think of the landing spot for uh, Zach Moss and his ability to kind of maybe even take on a Frank Gore plus role. Yeah, I like the landing spot. They were very clear that they wanted to add someone uh, this entire offseason. I think Singletary is good, and Singletary, you know, he's entering the, his second year, so he's not going away. This is probably a long-term committee, um, and Singletary probably has the advantage in terms of getting more of the pass-catching work. 
So that could hurt uh, Moss's outlook as well. Um, but I do, I think this was one of the better landing spots that we could have hoped for for Moss. Uh, you mentioned one of your favorite sleepers in this class for Dynasty is DJ Dallas, who I admittedly do not know very much about at all. Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, Travis Homer, obviously on the roster. Talk to me about who DJ Dallas is and why you like him. Yeah, so DJ Dallas is like kind of a classic Seattle guy. He's He ran like a four, five, six, forty or something, and uh, he's like 217 pounds, but he is good on special teams. He's a really good pass blocker. He's actually, he backed up Travis Homer in college. Um, and you're looking at a depth chart here where it's Carson's last year of his contract. Uh, there's health question marks there. Penny, I think, is probably going to start the year on the pop. Um, mm-hmm. And then Homer was okay in, in the role that he had last year, at the end of the year. But uh, I don't think necessarily like a huge impediment to Dallas getting on the field. And he was a fourth round pick. So he's going like a lot later in drafts than some of these other fourth round picks, but he has potential to start like right away. You know, if, if, uh, if Carson isn't fully healthy to start the season or something or has a setback. So, and I think in a worst case scenario, he'll be mixed in throughout the year um, again, because they're going to be able to trust him on passing downs um, and he'll be active on game day. Cause I think he'll take over for Tyler Lockett on special teams as a returner. So, that um, that makes me really excited. And uh, Graham Barfield, who does the yards created metric, he compared him to actually discount Zach Moss. And I think that's sort of what you're looking at in rookie drafts right now. He's sort of a discount Zach Moss. He was taking it around later. He's probably going to be in a committee right away. But unlike Moss, he has the potential to be the long-term lead back going forward where uh, Moss and Singletary are going to be a long-term committee. Uh, Jerry is barking at the thought of DJ Dallas being a starter for uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, exciting stuff. Okay, if you want more on uh, Burrow and Tua and Herbert, you can go to the site. You can also listen to the podcast I did Friday with Evan when we talked about the situations, what we expected uh, out of those guys. We'll get more on uh, playing time and week one outlooks for Tua and Herbert as the offseason moves along here. But for everything Dynasty, Go to the site, check it out all for free right now. All of Pat's stuff, all of his rookie rankings, all of his full rankings, all of his articles are up there. Now you can read 5,000 words on six wide receivers uh, because Pat is a, a sick, sick, twisted individual. Also, all these shows are going up on YouTube. Producer Luke is crushing it in the YouTube game. Get out there, hit the subscribe button on YouTube. It's free on there. Also... Uh, Pat, tell the people uh, where they can find you, where they can find your your wisdom on the deepest of deep NFL thoughts. Yeah, at Pat Corain on Twitter. At Pat Corain on Twitter, two R's in Corain. All right, that's going to do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Evan to talk about what we learned from the draft, what teams are telling us, winners, losers, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of veterans. So for... For producer Luke, for Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.